Hello and welcome to the Tech Unplugged podcast. My name is Max Portillaro. I'm your host today with Ariane Timmerman, our co-host. And hello, Max. Hello, and we have Shai Nahali from CyberArk. Hello, guys. So welcome Shai, to Amsterdam. Thank you very much for having us. So Shai, it's great to have you. Um, you, we had a really interesting presentation earlier today with you and you are uh, heading the red team in CyberArk, that is correct? Yeah, that's, that's correct. Um, so as, as again, as a way of introduction, my name is Shai Nari and I, I, I do run the red team for CyberArk. I've been doing this for the last couple of years. Um, and we've, we've as, I, as I think I told you before, we have two type of, of activities we, we focus on. Uh, the first one is to do adversary simulation for CyberArk, uh, simulating certain adversaries uh, for the organization. And the second, uh, the second service that we do is external uh, adversary simulation for our customers and partners, uh, really focusing on simulating specific adversaries um, and trying to help organizations measure their ability to detect and respond uh, to targeted attacks. Can you elaborate a little bit more on the difference between the two? Yeah, sure. Uh, you mean the internal one and the external one? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great, it's a great, uh, great question. So, in our vision, um, there is two ways when you, you should approach adversary simulation. The first one is if you have a mature threat modeling and you know your adversaries and you know what risk you're trying to prevent. Um, maybe you can simulate specific adversaries and check your ability to detect those specific adversaries. More often than not, organizations do not have a specific actor in mind or, or do not want to uh, prepare against a specific adversary. In that case, we would simulate uh, a generic adversary with certain capabilities based on their threat model. Mm -hmm. So for example, for CyberArk, we have our own threat modeling um, and we look at you know, what type of adversaries we're facing and every single engagement we do internally would be based on a single um, adversaries with certain capabilities, see how well we behave. Uh, when we do it against uh, four customers, um, we, we ask mainly two different questions. One is what is the most critical pieces of information you guys have? What is your crown jewels? What is something you're trying to protect? And two, what do you see as a major risk? Right? What do you see as uh, a threat actor based on what you've seen in your verticals or what have you seen in you know, maybe different uh, different regions that you, you, you think might be a, 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 a risk for you guys. And we try to build adversary simulation program that would uh, allow them to measure uh, their security posture against that specific adversary. Okay. Um, we also talked about um, the red team is your friend. Um, <laughs> I think that was a great way to put it. Um, it's actually true if you ask me, but could you tell our audience a little bit about what you mean about being a friend as a red team? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we... Because uh, it raises some red flags, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw some faces. You know, what you should also mention that that happened after me presenting four different use cases mm -hmm. from engagement and showing how we uh, successfully uh, were able to circumvent different defenses and, and then saying we're friends. Yeah. Um, so so uh, you know, the way we see it, and this is something that mis misconception we're trying, to, we're trying to battle somewhat, is the assumption that the KPI for a successful red team engagement is red teams successfully gaining access to crown jewels, mm -hmm. right? And I, and I feel this is not a good representation of the, the KPIs or, or the, the success criteria. 
if you measure your success or failure, whether or not the red team succeeded, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. What you should try to see is not whether or not they succeeded, is whether or not they gave you visibility into something you were not aware of, right? If you, you know, if you know you have a certain gap in security posture and you have a plan to address it and the red team used that gap and gained access, that's, that's great, but it didn't really give you a lot of value, right? And to, to extend that, you know, if me, if I'm a red teamer, I come into organization and I, I come back and say, well, we hacked you, you know, we're awesome, good luck to you, I didn't bring you any value as well. So I did a poor job giving that service. I think a, a, a comprehensive report or a, a good value, a good measurement for a red team would be, um, one, did I, yes, did I succeed without getting detected? Because detection is a key point, right? Um, two, did I, did I do it in a way that you were not aware? Did I show you maybe a different path to your crown jewels that you were not aware of? Um, and two is maybe I help you shift your mindset of priorities in what you need to do better or what you need to uh, spend some time and resources uh, to, to address. Maybe I have to shift your priorities and your mindset. Um, and I think that that's an indication of a, of, a good, of a good engagement, not whether or not you know, we as an attacker succeeded. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one one thing which you say, which is quite important for me, is that you talked here about Cron Jewels. And apparently, I mean, I think it kind of even makes sense. You cannot plan and try to protect absolutely everything, right? So you need to somehow define the scope of what is important, what data, what assets are important in the organization. Is that something where you kind of help or consult customers? I mean, some of them, those which are more advanced in their security journey may know what data is important, but is there uh, something where you can give them a hand as well? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think a good example to that would be, you know, we've seen a lot of organizations which focus, for example, on protecting the endpoint. And, and don't get me wrong, protecting the endpoint is extremely important. You do need to do uh, the best job as you can to protect that. However, if you're doing your security assessment or your threat modeling correct, and you, you know, define that your crown jewels are certain, let's say, PII information stored in a database, all right? And the best way to access that is through stealing some sort of privileged access that may be credentials, SSH key, token, and you've, you've successfully understand that this is the best way to mitigate that, uh, then we can come in and help you show that, you know, maybe you're, you know, maybe you should put more emphasis on preventing that ladder of movement. Maybe protecting the endpoint is important, but you should maybe accept certain risk in that area and put more emphasis in preventing that ladder of movement or the detection of misuse of credentials or abuse of credentials. I think that's, that's another, uh, another way of looking at those engagements. Mm -hmm. So what, one of the things which you said before and which was also very, very important, which kind of struck me, was um, around, you talked first of all about the, the surface attack, mm -hmm. the attack surface, uh, which is now within, uh, no, the attack surface is with the organization. Uh, sorry, no, the attack surface is uh, pretty much every employee represents a vector of attack. That's one point. And the second thing which you said is around defining what constitutes privileged access. Because especially for our audience, there's a lot of misunderstanding around that. So right. if you can say a bit more on, on those two topics. Yeah, so, so, so these are good points to your, to your first point. Uh, yeah, so the attack surface it used to be, and, and this is, again, n nothing new. The, the attack surface used to be how many services, how many ports, how many devices you have exposed to the Internet. That is rarely these days a, a good measure 
to your attack surface. Your attack surface is really what can attacker, how, how can attacker gain access to your organization? That can be different things, right? For, first and foremost, it's your employees, right? Your employees, each one of them is an attack surface, right? They have some sort of exposure that allow you to, me, or I should say, allow me as an attacker to gain access to your organization through them. That's an attack surface. Identity is the, is the, is the new perimeter, Right? It doesn't matter how many open ports you have. It's, uh, it matters how many identities and how many ways attackers can gain access. Um, and, and they got to the second point of identifying privilege. So this is something we see almost in every engagement. It's very obvious to your organization to identify you know, the obvious privilege. Right? How many users do I have in my domain admin groups? How many users do I allow to manage my cloud infrastructure? That's the easy, um, uh, easy way to identify them. But in almost every organization we've seen, there are privileges that are not as easy recognizable. For example, in one of our engagements, we, we had a, an organization that had jump stations that allowed them to move between the, the three tiers, the tier zero, tier one, and tier two. Uh, one of those users had remote, uh, had RDP access to one of those jump stations. That user was not domain admin, wasn't a workstation admin, wasn't allowed to log into any domain controller, but just the fact that he had access to a privileged resource where other privileged accounts logged in, that made him a privileged account. So it's, sometimes it's hard to identify what is privilege and how do you define privilege. And I think it's, it's really about understanding the flows of your organizations. Again, if you have a shared resource that is used to access privileged resources, that made it you know, privileged. If you have an account that's allowed to log into that, it's a privilege. I think the first step organizations should do is try to map out all privileged access they have within the organization, not just the, the obvious one like domain admins and, and, and cloud infrastructure admins. That's something that's interesting as well, mentioning cloud infrastructure. Um, are you, as a red team for CyberArk, seeing a shift in what's going on in organizations because of going to cloud, but also doing container stuff and all that kind of things within the infrastructure or within the environment they have. Is there a, a big change going on in, on on that side for you as well? Yeah, absolutely. It's a really great point. Um, so so we do see different things here. One is, again, the shift to cloud, and we, we see it both in, in, in Europe and in the U.S., obviously. Um, the shift to cloud, obviously, changes the, uh, the, the game a little bit. It makes that uh, domain admins are, are interesting, but now you have other type of privilege access, like console access, was what type of API access, and that, that's the new domain admin, right? Yeah. If you have Ansible access, that's the new domain admin. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so definitely there is a shift to that. Um, but I will also say there is also another attack surface that a lot of organizations do not understand. So. Think about it this way. If I now have some sort of access, it doesn't have to be domain admin. I think one of the use cases we talked about was we found we gained some sort of API access, mm -hmm. which allowed us to uh, create snapshot of an existing uh, one of the customer's uh, infrastructure. If we are able to take a snapshot and access that snapshot, that's another attack surface that you as an organization might be missing. So think about it. I might be able to make copy of all your cloud servers move them to my account, and from your perspective, none of those servers was accessed. If you look your access logs, none of those servers got accessed by anyone. I just made a full copy of your entire infrastructure, 
took it away to my account. And if you check your SSH logs, none of them was accessed, right? And I just stole, took away everything you have. So I think that cloud infrastructure gives you um, another, another attack surface to look at. Uh, that includes everything from you know, managing those privileges as well as vulnerabilities. If you now have you know, hypervisor vulnerability as zero day, now that becomes you know, not just the vendor issue, but your issue. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think it, it goes both ways, both the migration of privilege as well as the, the extended attack surface. Okay, so as a cyber arc, and it's already been a, a bit discussed uh, earlier in the, in the podcast, what um, you have multiple teams, uh, you are the red team, what is the overall um, yeah, advice or, or help that you will offer to the customers that use CyberArk? Yeah, so, so I think the Cyberarc story was, was always you know, consistent, or at least it's been consistent for the last you know, uh, a decade or two. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really that it does not matter if you're a look at an insider or external attack. Eventually, mm -hmm. once an external attack gets in, it becomes an insider, right? And you can do your best to protect that, that initial access, but if you look at any type of attacks, and, and we, as part of our research, look at different threat actors and look at different TTPs, tactic, techniques, and procedures that they are using, and we see that it's common to every single actor that we are looking at. It does not matter if you're script kiddies to nation state, they will always look for some sort of credentials, abuse, in order to move laterally. Even if you look at nation state, they might throw a zero day at you or, or uh, or a pretty recent vulnerability to get in, but once they're in, they're always gonna look for vulnerabilities. And that's the same even if you look at you know, ransomware or crypto miners. A lot of them um, look at the uh, uh, WannaCry. You know, they've, yes, they've used that uh, SMBV1 vulnerability, Eternal Blue, to do the initial propagation, yeah. but a lot of those versions just add a privileged theft mechanism as a backup plan, right? Yeah. So what do you do once you're inside and it's patched? You drop credentials and use PSExec to move laterally. Yeah. So credential is used in every single one um, of, of the TTPs for any um, uh, attack uh, uh, attacker. Um, we as cyber, you know, believe that we should, you know, you should focus on protecting those privileges, uh, whether it's on-premise, on cloud. Um, you should manage those sessions. You should isolate them. We obviously have uh, quite uh, a lot uh, of product to do uh, address all of those issues. Um, you know, market leader recently uh, named by Gartner as the uh, leader of the industry. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it, you know, you, you have privileges everywhere and uh, we can help you protect them. Okay. So one last question from my side. Um, you're obviously represent, representing the red team, so what will, what, one will say the bad guys in a way. Uh, you also have probably a blue team, so the, the nice guys, say, let's say that way. You said a you're the friends. Team. Yeah, you're the friends, right? So <laughs> the, the blue teams, yeah, the blue teams. My, <laughs> yeah, yeah. my question here is, you're certainly collaborating a lot with the blue team, and I was thinking, what is, are you just consulted ad hoc for like, let's say for kind of intrusion testing, or are you also seeing engagement where you are playing hand in hand with the blue team? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, great point. So we do we do a different type of things, but a lot of time, you know, we it's and this is something I've I've, I've tried to uh, to uh, to address. It's it's really not about us being the bad guys against the blue team. You know, we're on the same team, and a lot of time I've seen you know different uh, different terminologies: purple teaming. Red teaming, black teaming, you know, I've, there are many colors. It's, it's two, two different approaches at solving the same problem. Ex yeah. Exactly. You know, eventually, you know, when we get hired, our job is to make our customers more secure. Mm 
So we can do that. You know, a lot of time you get hired by a C-level and they say, well, we don't want to tell the blue team. We want to see how they react. But a lot of time, it kind of makes sense, especially in a more mature organization that have done this a few times, to do something called purple teaming. And again, excuse me, my usage of, of colors. But it is, you sit with them, all right? So you sit with, you know, with the blue team in the same room. They might have like uh, your, their seam open, all their uh, defensive tool open on the screen. And we'll tell them, okay, we're about to execute an attack here. Tell us what you saw. And it gives you more deeper dive because it's not only, you know, Boolean answer. Did you see it or not? Is okay. I didn't see it. What did I? What did I do see? You know, I saw some KPIs. I saw something. Maybe we can use that to train ourselves to find attacks that we, you know, the tools do not detect by default. Mm -hmm. So I think there is value in cooperation. And, and by the way, it goes the other way around. Sometimes we will learn from what they're doing, and there are a lot of creativity in the defensive side as well. And we can say, oh, that's a cool way to find us. You know, recently there was. Um, just, just a small, just a small point. There was a, a, a way. There's a infrastructure, a tool called Cobalt Strike, which is a very famous um, attack infrastructure. It's just basically like Metasploit and so on. And there was a bug in in Cobalt Strike which allows Defender to uh, fingerprint it. So you basically you can scan the internet and you can say, well, that based on the answer it gives you, that's a Cobalt Strike server. So that's an attack server. So I've, we've seen Defender, and Defender didn't publish it, so they sat on it for a while, just like attackers would mm -hmm. do. And we say, well, now we can, we can identify attack server in the internet, mm -hmm. right? So we see a lot of creativity on the blue team as well, and I think this, this kind of helped both sides. They can teach us, and we can teach them. And again, we're all on the same side. You know, the, the better we are, the better we can make the blue team, right? Um, you know, the, the, the real bad guys, they, you don't have that luxury, right? No, so it, we, should, it. we should learn from each other. So for me, one last question um, for the audience. Can you give a few words of advice of um, what is going on in this industry and what's your advice on tackling some of the problems they might or might not have? Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and that, uh, <laughs> you, you, can, you can say that we can, we can have a, just a, a whole episode on that. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, and I think also, I think the geography, the geography makes sense here, whether in U.S. Or, or Europe. But mm -hmm. we've seen the last um, two years, we've seen two shifts. One is shift from ransomware to crypto miners. That's, you know, that's been discussed many times. Mm -hmm. And I think something new we're seeing again and again is the shift to um, supply chain attacks. We've seen it recently with, with different, different breaches. And that where attackers are doing targeted attack. They say, you know, there's this organization that we want to go after, but they're doing a good job and or they're very mature. Uh, why don't we attack one of their supplier? And they do this, and we've seen, you know, we've seen different vendors. Um, you know, I think that the recent one is Asus, right? And the attackers compromised supply chain and looked at specific MAC addresses, and only those MAC addresses were targeted. It's a, <laughs> it's an amazing example to a supply chain where the attacker is going and compromising entire supply chain when you only want to target very specific targets. So I think we'll see shift, more and more shift in in towards this direction as, as defenders becoming more and more advanced and aware, attackers will find the easier way to get in. So I, I definitely see that um, as, a, as a major trend uh, coming soon. Uh, and I think one of the biggest issues we have as defenders is really legal, right? You know, I, I think we kind of discussed it before. Mm -hmm. um, if, I, if, you, if you hire me to do an engagement, that's, that's great, but there's limit 
what I can do in regards to check all your suppliers. There's legal issues. I think yeah. your lawyer wouldn't like it if I start uh, going after your vendor. So, so, so we, we have a, that, that problem uh, from legal perspective that we need to address. But, but you as an organization should look at that and at least try to do some, <clears throat> excuse me, some sort of threat modeling in regards to your own supply chain. Try to identify a weakest link there. I think we'll see more and more of that going in that direction. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. And uh, let's catch up for another episode. Absolutely. Thank you, Thank you again. Bye. Bye. Thanks.